Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein from Growblox. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we're talking about what happens if no one owns go-to-market in your organization. There's symptoms you might see, who should maybe own it, and what the responsibilities are for the person who does. Enjoy. So Mikkel, um, maybe you tell everyone what happened to you last week. Well... Basically, my daughter, uh, I told her to give me a high five. And she pursued to high five me directly in the eye. <laughs> at which point I just couldn't see. It's literally this face palm emoji just landing in your eye. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And I couldn't see for like a good 60 minutes. And you go, ah, it'll, it'll be over soon. It'll be over. And it just... Kept on going. How did so you even finish the... Ah, no, the, the, the poop job was finished already there. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Everything Otherwise, was, the high five. Everything yeah, was yeah. done. Everything was good. And I couldn't see a thing. And then, obviously, as the good employee but I am... What I don't understand is, like, what about the other eye? I yeah, mean, so the thing is, um, I couldn't just close one and have the other open. For some reason, that was just impacted as well. It was pretty weird, actually. Uh, I mean... But you can have... Can you wink? Uh, okay, I can you wink. Can. You can yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. And then actually, as the good employee I am, I was like, ah, you know what? I've been sick. We had so we had COVID, by the way. Uh, so that also happened to the family, and was just, you know, I've been to was work COVID, twice yeah? this year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, been to work twice this year. Employee I was like, of the I year. Better, I, better, <laughs> I better write my boss and just let him know what's up. And it was, you know, with extreme agony to keep the eyes open and you know because find I didn't, the keys. I didn't pick up this random call from someone. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> And then, and then the first reply I get back from my wonderful, caring boss was just laughing out yeah, loud. Yeah, and, ha, yeah. ha, ha, ha. and then the next message was like, okay, surely now he's going to show compassion. It's like, this is going to be such a good intro. Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm back. It's good. I've been uh, eager but, to get back. What was funny was like, hey, but your eyes are okay when you're texting. Right? Your, eyes, your eyes are okay. <laughs> and you're like, you know. Yeah, no problem or something like this in like five typos. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I was like, oh, ah, man. I'm not then, sure. So the thing is, I, I think I told you this when we spoke on, on the phone. It's like, it's such a boring injury to have. Yeah. Because you, you can just sit with your eyes closed and listen to a movie. And what's going to happen is, even, even no matter how good the movie is, you're, you're going to fall asleep. asleep. You're going to fall asleep. That's what's going to happen. I told you, you should have listened to like old podcast episodes of ours, yeah. kind of <laughs> reminiscent of the old times, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I that's think, true. I think it would have been a good thing for you, but uh, it's it's fine. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just uh, laying down on the couch thinking about podcasting. That's... It's not like your own podcasting, you know? No, no. And then also who owns it at the end of the day. So thanks for the layup. Thanks for the layup. Yeah. So you, you give him an easy start today. That's good. That's good. No, so uh, one of the things that I've noticed when, you know, I got my vision back was there was some chat on LinkedIn on, well, who who actually owns Go to Market? And we had uh, Sangram... Yeah. On the show, it's like, it's the CEO. It's, you know, I spoke with Brian Halligan at HubSpot. He said it's him. It's the CEO, right? So we're going to talk a bit about what happens when no one owns it and who should own it and how do you actually transition ownership to make sure you're succeeding as a company. I don't actually think the CEO should own it, by the way. Good. Let's hop into that then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so one of the problems, and I think this is from us from a, like a RevOps perspective, right, is that I think companies have been starting to wake up a little bit to this you know, go to market being a thing, yeah. not just its own pieces of mm -hmm. like marketing, sales and CS. And RevOps, it hasn't been maybe articulated like this, but RevOps was a little bit the solution to this. Yeah, 
is okay, you know, revenue operations. Yeah, we might just put it in the, the name. The full funnel. Yeah. <laughs> Not just sales, yeah. um, and they should actually own kind of the things in between, and ideally mm. be a bit strategic. So if the CEO or CRO comes like, we're gonna do PLG, yeah. that they have a little bit of something to say about this, right? <laughs> or, Sorry, actually, <laughs> yeah. Or you know, new market, new whatever. Yeah. But also making sure that all of these pieces are aligned between those different silos. It didn't quite happen. Didn't like happen this, yet. Right? Like, you know what? It really grinds my gears. We've been on and on about this for feels like one or two years by They're now. They're just not listening to us. No. <laughs> No, I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. That's probably what it is. So no, we haven't as an industry succeeded in positioning revenue operations everywhere like that. We're still working on it. So I think, and maybe I'm kind of cutting through the episode here a little bit, but I think to a degree, there was this super hype coming up early last year, like, oh, yeah. revenue operations, head of RevOps, fastest growing job in, in ever. Yeah. And I think a lot of CEOs, a lot of people started to like, oh, wow, maybe we should have a RevOps person as well. And I think what just simply happened due to the sheer amount of demand versus experienced people there were, I think a lot of people just get hired that didn't quite have the strategic piece figured yeah. out. Maybe out of school, maybe just focus really on you know, HubSpot CRM or Salesforce or something like that. And I think what happened ultimately is that a bunch of Salesforce admins were, were hired with the RevOps title, yeah. which is, you know, it's totally fine. So it's, I'm not, you know, talking down to that, actually. It's, I think that's the career ladder for sure. But I think it's really difficult for those profiles to live up to the, oh, and now we're going to do go-to-market strategy yeah. and align everything. It's going to be just impossible to do. Yeah. And, you know, this goes a little bit hand in hand with almost the RevOps movement, which is kind of the CRO movement. Yeah. And when I say CRO, it's usually, when I refer to it, it's not only sales, hmm. right? At least CS on top. And ideally, I believe ideally also marketing. And many people will disagree. But someone owning the end-to-end -end piece from top of the hierarchy, being strategic about that stuff. However, what we're seeing most of the time, there's a lot of beef between all the CMO doesn't roll to the CRO or and the CRO really just being a sales guy, yeah. girl, which is totally fine. But then that person, you know, they can have the title, they can have the title 20,000 times. I don't care about this. But it still means that that person will have a difficult time living up to the go-to-market-wide responsibility that they're having, right? Mm. So also that's not really kind of fully covered. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we also spoke a bit about the whole you get stuck sometimes chasing plan mm -hmm. and just making this corner. And, and, you know, part of the gig is not just that you can see end-to-end -end in the bow tie. Mm -hmm. It's also that you have the foresight to say, well next year this is what we want our engine to look like it means that this year i think we had was it dave keller who talked about moving i think it was win rates or the sales cycle length and he was mm -hmm. like well yeah it takes a couple of years to do that work yeah. it's just it doesn't happen in a quarter yeah and then i think you know one, one of the other issues with this is that you know it's like this um all-star basketball team or the super expensive uh, football club or mm. something like this where you have all stars in each of the different, I don't know, ranks or mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it's called. Yeah. I don't know what they're. I'm just titles. enjoying you using Ta trying to talk about sports. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was easier when I wrote it, yeah. you know. <laughs> hey, hey, ChatGPT. Yeah. And the thing is, right, even if you have a perfect striker, even if you have a great midfield, yeah. if you have a great goalie, a defense, everything is, all of them are great. All of them are like yeah. playing their separate national teams. All of them are winners and stuff. It doesn't actually mean that team will produce like the next Champions League, no. like, you know, win. No, I think the best, also one of the better ways usually it's being put is you can have the best defensive players in the entire world on your rooster 
but what about scoring goals? You know, yeah. you probably want to win some matches. So and and the overall thing here is you want to make sure that the team in this case, like soccer, so um, you know, football, European you. football, <laughs> um, is playing together. Yeah, right. And it kind of it works together, and all of these parts are optimized to one another. Yeah, and uh, you kind of want to have the same thing also with your go to market. And if that's not the case. Then you know you should almost ask a question. Well, if if my team of all 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 stars is actually not optimized, you know, together, then maybe I need to have another striker, and maybe that striker is actually worse than the other one. Yeah. But overall, it might produce better results. Yeah. Which is mind-boggling to a degree, yeah. but I think people are more and more waking up to hey, it's, the go-to-market is not just optimizing each of the different parts. Yeah. So that's kind of the problem when no one really owns the go-to-market. Yeah. What are the the consequences? Like, what what's the outcome going to be at the end of the day? Mikkel, you start with the MQL one. Looks down at his notes and goes, <laughs> well, I think it's the classic, uh, you know, so back to the short-term piece. We need to hit and we need to hit now. Uh, one of the things that's happened over the last 10 years, and you've heard folks like Chris Walker from Refine Labs talk about this stuff, is marketing gets jammed to basically just produce more and more leads for sales, Yeah. right? And the thing is, not all those leads are created equal. Some are going to be your regular inbound hand raiser. You definitely want to process those. They convert great, you know, high predictability and stuff. And then you have all these other small gambits you're going to run. You're going to do an ebook. You're going to do a webinar. Yeah. You're going to do all kinds of things that generates a lot of email addresses from folks who, you know, after having filled in all their details, hit download, already forgot everything about it, yeah. by the way. Yeah. And then some poor guy or girl, SDR, you know, gets these leads in their lead queue in Salesforce. And it's like, yeah, and I'm going to call those. And they just haven't even read the thing. They don't know what they downloaded. It's like... Yeah, that's terrible, right? No, and the and the issue here is the CMO is hitting his or her lead, lead mm -hmm. targets, which is, by the way, actually fair. So I'm not even attacking that. That's not actually the problem, right? No. I think there's a misalignment that obviously sales is expecting 5,000 demo requests yeah. versus 1,000 and then 4,000 whatever. But, you know, they're hitting their target and they're optimizing to hit their target and that's yeah. great. And then they're basically saying like all of that, low converting stuff, I'm just going to push to another department yeah. because I, you know, check my, I had yeah. my, <laughs> my target yeah. and now I need to pass it to someone else. And I would even say, well, knowing that this is probably not the most optimal. So what I've actually done in the past, I've sometimes given the inbound SDRs to marketing yeah. and see their behavior changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we need to oh, deliver it's, meetings. Oh, it's, oh, it's my, my department now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you see some of those things, and so by the way, for everyone who's not maybe following, so if you send those 4,000 low quality MQLs to inbound SDRs, it's going to happen. They're going to waste a lot of time and money on trying to pursue those. Yeah. Conversion rate is super low, sometimes mm -hmm. even lower than outbound. And then number two, because those... Uh, webinars or like white paper downloads, they come in like in spikes. Yeah. What's going to happen in the week where it, where the, the thing is being released, where all the emails are being collected, basically the team is getting swarmed and they're going to neglect even yeah. going after the really good ones, the demo requests, right? Yeah. So overall, actually a net minus for the whole organization. Mm. And this is one of those signs, like if no one owns this whole thing, yeah. then basically these things will just happen because... Well, the CMO did his or her job, and now sales just sits with the other stuff, right? Yeah. It's a classic, like, you can deflect all the responsibility. Yeah. Um, and and I think you're right. There's This is the result of not having someone who understands how 
the engine hangs together and that we need to optimize across. Yeah. And sometimes you can have a certain growth rate in marketing and you can try and force it and say, well, we've done 30% year over year the last 10 years. Mm. I want you to do 60 now. Yeah. I mean, that's not just going to change like that. So you need to look at your portfolio of sources you have. And so I, so there's this very arrogant saying, and I'm going to say it a lot. And people, you know, if, if you have listened to this before, you probably kind of know me a little bit by now. But there's this saying of never assign to malice what you can assign to stupidity, mm-hmm. right? So meaning, I don't think the individual players of the team of the GTM are doing all of these things because they're evil. No, no. Or because they want to be like, you know, oh, I'm going to set you up to fail. I had my, I get my bonus check, but you won't. Yeah. And I don't think it works like that. I think they, they don't understand these things sometimes. And, the, the funny thing is once you explain it, it's like totally obvious. It's yeah, like, yeah. duh, yeah, sure, I knew that. Yeah. Uh, but in the moment, they might not, right? And this is just one of those examples. And I think an, another example is really this typical, and I've done this myself. I have a Spanish SDR on the team and, oh, she can speak Spanish. Why don't we send her to Spain to prospect in Spain? And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, wow, it's really simple. You know, we have like good list. There's like existing demand. Like, let's go. And then she books 10, 50 meetings and, then it's like, oh, wait a minute, who's, she did that in Spanish. We don't have an AE in Spanish. <laughs> oh, no. So that's a problem. But then the bigger thing is like, you know, let's just say you even close them. We don't have CS folks in yeah, Spanish. We don't yeah. have support in Spanish. The even better example, even worse example is like, oh, let's just, you know, build a little bit in APAC or a little bit in South America. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, oh, we don't have any support hours for this at all. Oh. Kind of those are those typical things where you are being opportunistic in one part of the organization yeah. without thinking about, well, how's that, how does it actually work further down? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I've been there myself and kind of the VP of CS came to me, Tony, are you like, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> You know, another one, and, you know, we're just going through the list of things. That we, we like to talk about problems. In, uh, we'll come, come, no, but we'll it's like, get to the solution, I it's, guess. It's point. this, um, I had this happen to me. So uh, account management, so upsell, the upsell team sits with sales because it's a bit more of a salesy motion, which, yeah. you know, people can disagree, but I think it's actually still correct. 80% of their compensation is going to be on dollars upsold. Yeah. Right, because that's this is kind of a sales team, so that's what you want to do. Yeah. So if you if you don't you know balance it out right, what they can basically do is they can churn through the whole customer base, push everyone around in order to find their money, creating a really poor experience for everyone else, and then potentially them churning. Right. (laughs) And you can say, oh, this is an incentive problem. I think it's an incentive problem on the individual. I think that's right. Yeah. But it's actually a go-to-market problem on whoever the f set it up like this and not that thinking through of like yes individual behavior and so forth but again it's like hey it's a little bit it's not my problems being pushed to someone else but then again you know don't assign to malice what you can assign to stupidity right so and stupidity is i think a a tough word here but it's like you know just simply not knowing i think the other uh, stupid one and it's such a classic as well i think sangham called it who moved the cheese Mm. The whole who gets credit for that deal we closed over there. And it was so funny. It made me think about the other day we were sitting in uh, in the office. And uh, Anthony goes, yeah, close the deal. It's outbound. And I go like, look at the history. It's like, there's a lot of inbound activity here, my friend. I think it's inbound. And then we, we you know, argue for a little bit. And then from the back, the furthest back of the room, someone just looks over the shoulder and said, guys, you're idiots. It's a referral. I referred him. It's my. It's mine. <laughs> and I'm just trying to imagine having a go-to-market meeting. Yeah. You have all the top brass. Everyone's sitting there, 
and you have poor RevOps in the corner. And all the discussion is around who deserves credit, why aren't those MQLs converting, and all those other stupid things. They, are they going to move the needle for the business? No, for sure not. I think that all of those symptoms, and we could go on on all yeah, of those symptoms. Yeah, we can go like two-hour episode. And the, and the funny thing is, right, sometimes... Some people, you know, get it a little bit and take one step up and say, oh, it's, it's sales and marketing alignment. Yeah. <laughs> let's just That's the problem. Yeah. The, the VP of sales and VP of marketing, they just need to talk a little bit more. Yeah. That, that's the solution. We solved it by coffee meetings every week. Yeah. Now we're aligned. And, and I think it's actually kind of one step further up than just sales and marketing alignment. I think it's the methodology, it's the knowledge, it's the understanding of the yeah. whole engine end-to-end -end, yeah. and someone kind of feeling responsible for it. Yeah. This is where I kind of go like, I'm sorry, it's just not the CEO. You know? It's, Why it's, not? It's, Why not? Okay, if you have a 50-people uh, company, it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? for sure. But let's just say 250, 300, 500, whatever the number might be, is the CEO really going to be like all those webinar meetings that shouldn't have been going to the inbound SDR? Mm -hmm. Or the, um, you know, that you cut the ad spend in UK and now the AEs are underserved. You shouldn't be doing that. Or like that think, stuff, they wouldn't be doing. But right? isn't that also more operational where you have a steward that takes care of some of that stuff? Because then I think the question becomes what types of go-to-market decisions then sit with the CEO, right? So and this is where I simply disagree with, what is his name? The HubSpot CEO guy previously, Brian. 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 Yeah. I mean, Brian. Yeah. We met Good old beer yeah. the other day. <laughs> I think, you know, and um, Sam Graham basically was retelling the story of like, I own, yeah, I own go yeah, to market, yeah. right? The reason why I kind of call a little bit BS on this is like, sure, he does own the ultimate strategic decision. Are we going to do PLG? Are we going to go yeah. to APAT? Yes. Are we going to, you know, create this other product in order to serve? All of these things are like for sure CEO decisions. But the way they get there is through some of the collaboration and understanding below that level. And I think once you kind of actually own go-to-market, it's like you own, so let's just say you own sales, right? You don't only own that someone needs to do a discovery and someone needs to hire and someone needs to kind of close a deal. You also own the hiring plan and the strategy yeah. and you want to, you own the whole fucking thing, right? Um, and I think when you think about go-to-market, that's the same thing. They're yeah. like operational pieces, they're tactical pieces, and then the strategic pieces. For the operational pieces, you need to get sign off from the operational person yeah. and sits there and needs to do the clicking. And for the strategic stuff, you need to get sign off from the CEO. And yes, you know, he will be thinking he's making the big decision, which he or she is, but the preparation towards that and like, hey, this is how we would do it. This is how we kind of, you know, structure it. This is kind of how we can execute it. I think that would need to come from someone else. So I totally agree. The, the CEO will not go down to the depth of actually taking on the project of opening up a new market. But I'm also just sitting and reflecting. I think part of the strategic work the CEO does is the direction and say, hey, we're going to need to open up a new market to sustain our growth or, you know, consider a new motion. But I think you're right. It's It has to be someone else who then goes and says, okay, these are the options. Let's find the path forward yeah. that fits with the growth rate the CEO kind of needs us to maintain. Yeah. So we've ruled out the CEO. Yes. So who else could it be? So I have like two or three. And I think what's really important is we shouldn't get hung up on the title, right? Mm. It's not necessarily about the title. The title can provide some clues. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be kind of, that's the title and that's who it is. I don't think we should kind of push for like, oh, we need a chief GTM officer. Or no. something. I, don't, I don't think that's There's kind of the right There's enough C way. titles. There, yeah. So I think number one, yes, I think it could be a CRO that oversees at least more than sales. Yeah. And has 
a revenue architecture understanding. So the bow tie and how all of these things hang together has some data and tooling skills also, yeah. because that's kind of the backbone on, you know, what this whole thing is sitting on and then brings on all the already existing leadership skills of the CEO, kind of the, the leadership piece, you know, hiring, retaining talent, you know, all of that good stuff. But I think in order for the CEO to actually kind of achieve that, there, there needs to be an understanding, not how marketing works or how CS works or how sales necessarily works, but it needs to be an understanding of all of these pieces work together, Yeah. right? And there needs to be a bit of an ownership that either he or she has themselves or creates for others between those handover point and friction points. This mm. is where the, the go-to-market alignment sometimes then comes to light as like the handover piece, right? And not only the operational piece of like, here's a lead, you need to process it, but also was it even the right lead to be processed, Yeah. right? Kind of these, these kind of pieces of thinking. And yes, you can you know outsource it to the VP sales and VP marketing. I've done that. But in many, many cases, you will need to be the person pointing out, hey, I think here's an issue going yeah, on. Yeah. And I think you guys need to be looking at it, right? Yeah. Um, so I think there, there is a there is a case for, and you know, this can be called chief commercial officer, chief customer officer, yeah, VP yeah. of revenue, whatever. Uh, but basically someone leading the commercial organization or yeah. the go-to-market organization, right? So I think that's one option. Yeah. Another option, which is everyone's going to be, of course, Tony. Um, <laughs> I, I think revenue operations has a you know, role to play here. Mm. I do think, though, this is not the out-of-school one or two years kind of RevOps person. I think we're talking a VP revenue operations profile. Yeah. yeah? Someone that has been working in this environment, not necessarily as a revenue operations person, but you know, in a senior position for a while, brings the RevOps skills of like tooling, data, process, all of that stuff, but also brings the understanding of all the different pieces of the go-to-market work together, yeah. right? And then that role can roll to the CRO, the CEO, whoever it might be, or the CFO even in some cases, but basically kind of that then is still owning the house, everything actually working together. And in order for that voice to be heard, you can't be a senior revenue operations manager. No. You, you need to be a VP. You need to be sitting at the table where some of those decisions are made. And it's like, and I want to clearly say it's not about, oh, you know, I'm a head of revenue operations. I should be sitting at the table in order no. to kind of, it's no, you uh, know how this thing works people are tapping you to be pulled into the room yeah. and then you're able to manage the conversation and, you know, direct and divert, you know, priorities and bring your go-to-market perspective and data and logic perspective to drive some of that conversation. And I think this is something that it's just not, you know, it's, it's kind of rare out there, honestly, right? When you think about how old the RevOps uh, role is in general and how many people have been doing this successfully over the last 10 years yeah. or like at least eight years or something like this, not so many, simply not so many, right? And and I think this is the confusion with people running around with RevOps titles. It doesn't mean that they can, you know, fill those shoes that yeah. I just kind of laid out, right? But I at least know four or five or six different senior RevOps folks that basically kind of fit that mold 1000% and could yeah. actually exactly do that, right? Do you think this is a good step? Like, be, because it's also a major overhaul to org to introduce the CRO and kind of align all those yeah. those teams, right? It's a big move, actually. Yeah. And I can see a lot of folks, if you're a CMO, being very, you know, nervous about who, who gets that role. It's a profile who gets my world. Same for sales and mm -hmm. CS, right? 
Is there a step when you're like pre, let's say, 50 million AR to maybe go for the senior RevOps person first and have that be the right hand man or woman for someone at the table? So, so first meaning before the CRO, right? Yeah, before you yeah. hire. Um, yes. So, I mean, I've seen this now a couple of times in actuality. And it also has to do with lots of turmoil, lots of turnover in the executive suite, lots mm. of firing going on, lots of CROs. And then the senior RevOps person I talked to, they... You know, they're obviously careful about saying it, but to a degree, they're like, well, I'm kind of, you know, some of the pieces that are left behind from the CRO, I'm kind of picking those up. Yeah. I'm the one trying to kind of, you know, stitch all of the different items together. And that for me is like a sign that naturally that is a kind of a good idea. If you don't want to do the CRO, and I think CRO from like 15 million up can be done. If you don't want to do that, you know, hire someone senior revenue operations, maybe even at eight or 10 million, yeah. right? Kind of to help you a little bit with that transition. And depending on how your organization works out also later, it, it can be, you know, I would even go so far that your CRO is probably going to be pretty useless for the first six to nine months if you don't have revenue operations already in place. Yeah, and also if there's career path and you find someone really strong and experienced, that person could potentially become the CRO. Yes. I. So this is almost kind of a different topic, right? But I believe also because of myself, obviously, that I think this is a pretty good skill to have, understanding mm. the whole thing and then becoming the CRO in order to also manage and lead it. I think there are usually some, I think what's usually difficult for RevOps people to kind of to make that leap is this, oh, you haven't managed a team of 100 people. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that kind of thing can be overcome, can be fixed and so forth, but that's sometimes a little bit the the leap that needs to be taken. Um, but generally speaking, yes, I... so. It's, it's not about which title should be CRO, but it's everyone who reports to the CRO has actually an equal shot to become CRO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually how I see it. Um, and uh, I think revenue operations should report to the CRO. And like if that then is reached, um, yeah, there's there's a legitimate case for one of those five people mm. that sit below the CRO to take that job eventually, right? So before we uh, wrap the episode, there's one thing actually we should get into which is what does the, and we kind of teased it a bit and discussed a little bit in the beginning, but what does the responsibility actually entail? Because I don't imagine it's just making sure that, you know, okay, those MQLs, we're not going to pass anymore. There's so much more to it, um, especially with the go-to-market decisions. Yep. So what are kind of, to in your perspective, some of the core responsibilities that, you know, he or she will have, the person responsible for go-to-market? Yeah. So I think... Um, and it's almost like, you know, where, you know, on which end should we start here? I think on the super strategic piece, I don't think they're there to find M&A opportunities, don't get me wrong, but I think they should be very much um, involved in the M&A process. Yeah. Um, not only because there's lots of tooling and so forth to integrate, sure, but also there's, there's, there's simply a new go-to-market engine to be integrated. Yeah. And how is that going to fit? How's that going to work? Not tooling-wise, but logic-wise, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and hey, we're selling to the mid-market all the time, but this is now an SMB player. How does that actually work with us? Yeah. Right? And I think sometimes those those kind of thoughts aren't fully articulated, maybe by the CEO who sees like, hey, that could be a cool deal and the product is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And it might be all reasons why this is good, um, but really the integrating you know, those two engines, I think a, a strategic RevOps person is actually good to kind of, you know, work on that. But isn't it also like you have finance usually doing due diligence, meaning let's run through all the numbers. You need to kind of do the same from the commercial perspective, basically run the engine 
and figure out how does this, well, how does it work? How much leverage potentially do we have uh, in terms of further growth? And yeah, so, so I mean, we are, uh, we, we as Growblocks, we talk to like private equity firms that, you know, consider us to do um, commercial due diligence or mm. help to do commercial due diligence, right? And I think ultimately this is what revenue operations is also doing those M&A situations. Yeah. It's, um, uh, you know, pull the data, figure out if this thing works, figure out if those graphs were right that we're kind of being sold on, um, figure out how this thing can scale and so yeah. forth, right? So the commercial due diligence, which which they should be taking a part of, right? Mm. But this is like fine in between those yeah. M and A pieces, right? But uh, I think the next thing that happens pretty often is pretty straightforward is um, is resource allocation. Yeah, and I think this is actually a skill that is, you know, think about it the other way around. It's the VP of Sales, VP Marketing, VP CS. They don't need to be great at resource allocation. They usually have two or three options, and they will figure out, you know, what's most important for them right now. Yeah. But if you sit on top of it on the go-to-market side, you don't have two to three options per silo. So this is now nine or something like this. Yeah. But it's also well, if I go for this option over here, what is going to be the downstream impact of this, and what other investments do I then need to make in order for this to actually work out? Yeah. Right. Suddenly, it's not just two or three per department. Suddenly, you know, I don't, you know. Yeah, it's the Spanish SDR I'm thinking about, right? Yeah, now. yeah. Like <laughs> so so there, there's like a lots of other stuff suddenly going yeah. on, right? Um, and I think making the right resource allocation decisions, yeah. I think this is something where uh, that profile could step in and just help out. And yes, that will be captured in CAC payback and, you know, uh, CAC 2 LTV and all these other numbers. But ultimately, it's... Um, it's making sure that the money is spent uh, in the best possible way throughout the organization, yeah. right? Um, and um, and I think this is something that probably happens way more often. So I think this is a conversation you might have quarterly. Um, but I also sometimes feel, uh, in my case, I don't know, it felt like daily. Someone came to me and was like, hey, Tony, I want to have you know more budget for this. Yeah. I want to have an SDR there. Yeah. And um, then having the ability to make those, um, those financial investment decisions understanding the whole thing front to back, I think that's a, that's a piece that um, is pretty key actually for this, right? I would also add, and I think here I've been historically pretty weak myself, understand understand like product, market, and, and how, how to kind of work in that dimension yeah. in terms of scaling the go-to-market. Um, so if you are entering your first or second or third organization is on product market fit, also go-to-market fit, you're just scaling this thing, you kind of forget about how difficult it was to get there initially, yeah. right, from the founding team, but also you forget why it ended up there, right? There's really good reasons why your organization is setting mid-market with SDRs and doing like this and all mm. of these things. They're good reasons, and you just take them for granted. You don't actually understand, yeah. right? And if you don't understand, you can't change things, like responsibly at least, right? Because whatever you're changing... Um, you can't really know for sure are you are you changing something to the worse or to the better. Yeah. Because from your own one specific perspective, oh, that's better now, but, you know, you might be knocking over with your tail like five other yeah, things, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, and really trying to understand how this thing works is pretty key. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, in reverse, it might give you some clues on why something isn't working out, right? So I had this... Um, you know, we were uh, with this one organization, we were like in the Nordics, we were in Germany, we were in the UK, 
and we're just trying to push more in Germany because hey, it's a big market. We yeah. should be getting like so many more like whatever customers from there. But it didn't work out, and one of the reasons was that well, the product just didn't work for that market. Yeah, like not as well, basically. Yeah. Right. And, you know, understanding all of these things, you need to get to a specific threshold for this. And if you don't understand that, you will kind of just sit there and sit there with your bow tie logic and say, well, geez, I don't understand it. You yeah. know, we put my money here. The conversion rate is like this and then it doesn't work out. So there's this other dimension to it that that you kind of need to not only understand, but then also use in order to maneuver things. Yeah. Right. I think then there's also a piece of, and we talked resource allocation and so forth, but there's also a piece of, well, how do you put all of these things together and then, you know, create a plan? Uh, not only a plan of like, hey, those are the numbers we need to kind of hit, but also a plan of like, here are the things we're going to do in order to hit those numbers, Yeah, right? For, for many people, those are two different things, actually. And I think that needs to be orchestrated. This number one is a process, is a planning process, if you will, or strategic process. And then the other thing is like, well, now this is a massive, massive, you know, cross-departmental uh, go-to-market product finance project yeah. um, in order to hit this revenue number. I think revenue operations is, uh, or that role, which revenue operations could be, is a great one to own the execution of that. Like, yeah. you know, that can be chunked into weekly, so, you know, monthly check-ins, however you want to do it. But basically kind of not only generating the plan or kind of working on, on, on getting that done, but also making sure that, you know, the whole organization is in lockstep to achieve it. Yeah. Okay. Wow, we went through a lot of we stuff. We sat through a lot of stuff. But it's also like, I'm just holding up the notes here for the folks yeah, usually, watching on YouTube. Usually it's three lines. No, it's like, I felt like... It's like Mikkel talks, <laughs> Tony talks, and Tony talks. I, I, I you know, drafted, uh, I created a shitty draft. That's how we usually do it. Threw it over to you, and then I was sick for two weeks. And then I come back, and it's just like, there's like three pages here. I'm going to cut it. <laughs> Anywho, so what we talked about today is uh, who actually owns go-to-market? Mm -hmm. uh, who are the profiles that maybe should but aren't? You yeah. know, what are symptoms of no one owning it? And I'm sure all of you can recognize your own organization here. So someone needs to own this thing. We talked a little bit about, like, who could actually own it? What are the skill sets to have? And then... Yeah. Well, once you say like, well, I am running this thing, uh, who should be in, you know, what, what are the responsibilities that you should basically be running for? That's it. Thank you so much, Mikkel. Thank, Thank you everyone for listening and have a good one. Bye-bye.